Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. Fantastic to be catching up with you today, Felicity. I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for asking me. It's very weird for me to be on the other side as I'm used to being the person asking the question. Yeah, I just need to get a bit more comfortable with this dynamic, Jodie. This is one of those opportunities to we say sit with the discomfort, right? And we don't want to do that, but good practice. I find the same discomfort being on the other side of the microphone or the other side of the table. I'm used to exploring other people's stories, but I'm so excited to explore your story because you are just such an embodiment of empowerment and joy and the energy that you put out into the world to make a positive difference and an authentic space for people to share stories and to be real and to be no bullshit and just share our collective vulnerabilities. So I just want to applaud you right up front. Thank you. That's very flattering. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure and thank you. So yes, it's now time to sit with the discomfort of your story. (laughs) I suppose, Stadi, what are you doing at the moment? What's keeping you busy? Apart from having three kids, I think that would be at the top of my list. How old are your kids now? (laughs) 10, 8 and 5. That always keeps people busy, both men and women. I host Healthyish and Extra Healthyish, the Body and Soul podcast, as well as I've got a, my fingers in a few other pies. I'm working on another book and a few other things, but really the podcast is my main focus. And then, you know, trying to fit in some time for me around that, and that doesn't happen very oh, often. It doesn't. Well, at least you're trying. That's that's a really good starting point, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, good on you for that. And uh, really excited to explore each of those avenues. You know, it's interesting you say 10, 8 and 5, I can definitely relate because I once had a 10, 8 and 5 year old as well. They're quite a bit older now, but the privilege of having that age spacing is you're kind of able to say, well, I was able to say 5, 3 and 1 year old. So, but similar, similar. That is an age where you're spanning quite a lot of different kinds of challenges with kids. What are some of the things that are 
keeping you busy with the kids at the moment? I think we've got, you know, the 10-year-old is is turning 11 soon and so he's entering that tween age group, kind of starting to, we're seeing breakaway from us parents and as a mother. So it's kind of me dealing with that, knowing that he's finding his friends are becoming more important in his life. I mean, he still values family. So on that end of the spectrum, I'm kind of dealing with that. And then Arabella, who's five, is still very much mum, wants mum all the time, and which is lovely. And I'm lapping it up right now while it lasts. And then the middle one just sits somewhere in between. I mean, I have to say my kids are pretty good. They're quite level-headed. I mean, we have our ups and downs, of course. I think it's just managing, well, just the schedules really, I think, and the time and, and just making sure each child gets your time and your alone time as well as family time and I'm spreading the love equally. I think that's my biggest thing that I just want to make them all feel valued in their own ways and appreciate their strengths. That sounds absolutely beautiful and appreciating their strengths, focusing on strengths and trying to compartmentalize and sort of have that mindful engagement with everyone is not an easy task, right? Not at all. It's also about finding things that you can share in common with them. I think that is one thing that I really want to build, especially as they move into teenage years and start going off and doing other things and not needing mum anymore. It's just trying to find those common links that we have together. And and perhaps with my 10-year-old, like he's really sport focused, obviously loves AFL. We're a big AFL family, but also loves basketball and I love basketball as well. So that's something that I'm thinking that we can kind of nurture through his teenage years going to see, you know, a local team, the Sydney Kings. Or So it's just kind of navigating that and finding something that things that will kind of keep our interests and that time together. Yeah. And how beautiful is that to be really child led in that process, in that process of connection is kind of thinking about what are their interests and for you to connect based on their interests is it's a really empowering philosophy of parenting. Um, there's an approach called parent child interaction therapy, and that's all about child centered and child led play, which teaches it sends messages that your thoughts matter, your needs matter and your passions matter. So it's so beautiful to hear you describe that interaction and also that strength-based focus. You know, we're good at doing that in a corporate context (laughs) or maybe not so good. Doing it in a parenting context is so incredibly powerful to build confidence and to build resilience. And That's reassuring to hear. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing the right thing somewhere, sometimes. I mean, my kids are a lot older, but I still struggle. You know, it's it's one of these things that we just kind of fumble our way through. No matter what expertise hats you wear, it's all goes out the window when it comes to your own children. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're right. We fumble, don't we? We fumble, and that's what life is all about. It's about, I suppose, the heart-led fumble and the values-led fumble. Thinking about the many hats that you wear, Felicity, and the busy world, tell me a little bit about your podcast world. You've just received some wonderful recognition, which I was so thrilled to see that. Thank you. Tell me, first of all, about the recognition, the awards. That must have been a really lovely experience. So Healthy-ish was named the Health and Wellness Podcast of the Year, which was great. I mean, it was a lovely recognition of, of all the work that we put into it. I mean, it's a daily podcast, so it's a lot, like it's a lot. So I record five interviews a week. 
I find the guests, I do the schedule, I write the questions. I mean, I've got a producer, a wonderful producer, Tabby, who cuts it all together and it makes it sound amazing. I probably do that because it's a bit of my type A personality and it comes from my life being an editor of Women's Health for so many years and I suppose my connections, thanks to Women's Health that I have in the health and wellness space. So I prefer to choose people to put on the podcast that I want to speak to and who I think, well, who listeners I know would want to hear from. Really, that's the most important thing. So it's a lot every week. It takes me three days to to do it, but I absolutely love it. I mean, personally, I love it. I get so much out of it. And I love it also from hearing from listeners all the time. And it's interesting to see which topics land and which ones are obviously the things people are struggling with. And, and Jodie, your episode, was that like two years ago that we recorded that? Maybe. It was it a while was. ago. I need to get you back on. We could probably talk for about 10 hours nonstop, I would imagine. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure um, we could. But I think it's really interesting to see. I have real-time metrics where I can see what people are, are listening to, you know, hour by hour. I mean, it, it changes and I, and I get a bit of a buzz out of that. I've become a bit obsessed with, oh, suddenly everyone's listening to this. They want to know more about this. And it's been quite interesting. I've been doing the podcast for three years now and just seeing the changes in, well, the zeitgeist and society and what people are seeking when it comes to health and wellness. And it really, it has changed a lot, especially from my days at Women's Health to obviously mental health since COVID has, has just exploded. We want as much information about that as possible. But another thing that I've really picked up recently is we just want to hear from real experts, leaders like you in, in their field, scientists, researchers. We've shifted from wanting to hear from influencers on social media, which is was a bit refreshing. We still want to hear about their health habits and things like that. But I think when it comes to health and well-being and mental health, we want to hear from bona fide experts. Wow, that's really interesting to hear that. And our episode, which is where we first met, it was such a joy to be on the receiving end of your questions and talking to an area that I feel so passionate about. But it's fascinating to hear you say that. I suppose it makes sense in terms of the zeitgeist and the shift there, because when we're in such a saturated world of information, we want to start to be more discerning in that information and to be able to really draw out what is evidence-based and what are the things that can truly help. And, you know, certainly in the space of anxiety, it's one of those spaces where certain things can actually be the opposite of helpful. I'm so thrilled to hear that you are finding that in terms of the tide turning towards bona fide experts. I'm really curious to hear more about what the hot topics are in this <laughs> world of topics. I mean, yeah, what are you finding are the very hot topics at the moment or even the anticipated trends of hot topics? A lot of us are struggling with the world right now. COVID was really tough on all of us for so many different reasons. Like We came out of that and many of us thought, we would go back to normal, the world would be better and life would be rosier and it would be perhaps, for particularly for my listeners, not so busy. The mental load perhaps would ease. And in many ways, it hasn't. It's actually got worse. And I think, you know, with everything that's going on in the world right now, Middle East and the yes vote and all these things in the world, I think, are causing a heaviness for everyone as well as what's happening in their everyday lives. So I think horrifyingly, our mental health has actually slid. And I think the stats even show this and you'd probably know this. And that perhaps now we're feeling that what happened in COVID is actually just catching up with us now. And rather than just everything will be fine when we come out of COVID, but it's actually not. That's what we're finding. You know, whenever I do topics about stress, 
mental well-being, mental load, just anything related to mental health in many ways is just they're always the hot topics that people want more information on. Anything to do with technology, that's another big, I think, player in all of this that many of us probably acknowledge are trying to do something about it. That particularly in that area. I mean, in, in other areas in nutrition, there's a lot about topics like inflammation. And for many years, everyone went vegan and vegetarian, but now we see meat coming back into the discussion mm-hmm. a bit more. And it swings aroundabouts in health, I think. Fitness, it's more about, it's all about longevity and cardio and, and strength. And I think we're becoming more knowledgeable when it comes to, to health and wellness, but we just want to go a bit deeper into those topics. And that's where the experts come in. Fascinating. And I can totally relate, certainly what we're seeing at the coalface and what you're hearing from experts. It really aligns of, about, oh, that sense of overwhelm. And, you know, your book that you wrote, it was really anticipating, even though we probably felt overwhelmed and imbalanced and all of that at that time. In essence, you were anticipating that this ain't getting better quickly, right? This is just a spiral down in a way. And I suppose on the back of COVID, just that extra layer of intensity and that digitized interconnectedness, that means that our mental space is never quiet. It's out of line with how we were designed. Burnout, certainly a hot topic and overwhelm, a really hot topic. And anxiety is just, we are very busy at the anxiety clinic, but it's just wonderful to be able to be in a space where we can, I suppose what I like to deliver is positive messages about hopefulness with the right evidence-based strategies that you can make a difference in your life. So I'm curious to know because you are constantly at the leading edge in terms of the experts that you interview in those hot topics. What are some of the strategies that people are sharing that really will make a powerful difference in people's lives? Can I just pick up on that word you said? I think hopefulness is really important because a lot of people that I come across and talk to and what I consume on social media and is that helplessness. Like so many people are helpless to know how to cope. You know, we live in this world. There's, we can't change the world around us. We're in a capitalist society. It's patriarchal in, in many ways. I mean, that's slowly shifting. So I think we do have to talk about hopefulness because there's so much helplessness. It's not going to change, you know, and people say, listeners and friends of mine say, oh, but like, I just want to get off. Like, I just don't want to be in this world. I'm just not enjoying it anymore. Is this what life's all about? So in terms of helpful strategies, it's really interesting because so I've interviewed over 500 experts on healthy-ish. It sounds so dull and boring and it's not fancy and it's not wellness world and it's not cool, but it's the three fundamentals of good health is sleep, nutrition and movement. I mean, that really, it sounds so boring, but that is really the common thread between the 500 experts I have interviewed is sleep. We don't value sleep enough in this world. And one thing that I feel that I'm personally grateful for is having interviewed so many experts. I thought I was healthy before. I thought I had lived a healthy and well life, but I did not (laughs) compared to what I'm like now. And actually my husband always pays me out. He reckons I've become so rigid in things like my sleep routine, not watching TV before bed, turning off my phone an hour before I go to sleep. But I think you need to be a bit rigid and you need to be able to bend. And and of course I go down and watch like morning wars or something that I quite like if he's watching it. (laughs) That's a good one. That and Outlander. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like I still want to have fun and enjoy life, but I do think when it comes to sleep, let's just focus on that. The Mm -hmm. fundamentals of same bedtime, 
every day, having a sleep routine. Now, my sleep routine consists of journaling for however long I can keep my eyes open and then reading. And that might only be two pages, turning my phone off an hour before I go to sleep like that is just imperative. Otherwise, you just can't. And now that I have that sleep routine, I'm out like a light within like three or five minutes. Now, rewind many years ago when I was running women's health and I would be on my phone till five minutes before bed and then I would be lying, tossing and turning for an hour. And it's such a simple thing, but I think it's just so important. And so for me, sleep is just the cornerstone for good health. It sets you up. If you have a good night's sleep, everything, the world is a rosier place the next day. I'm a better human, a better mother. I'm more productive at work. I eat better. I've got motivation to exercise. I can deal with life and the emotions that come along with it. So these are things we know, but it's hard to create boundaries around sleep. So it's not easy. And so sleep and then nutrition, obviously, you are what you eat. It's a, it's a cliche. And perhaps over the years, you know, I've tried different things and I've listened to certain experts and, you know, I'll go in, in ways like I've gone vegetarian because I was listening to so many people in my ears telling me plant-based is the way to go. After a year, I had extremely low iron and I had to get an infusion. So mm-hmm. that was just not ideal. So I think when it comes to nutrition, what I've learned from what people have told me is it's okay to try different things. If you've got a healthy approach to food, that's the most important thing. If you've got a healthy approach to food, it's okay to try different things and then just work out what works best for you at different stages of your life. I mean, you're going to need different nutritional requirements at different ages. Exercise is the one thing that just comes up. I personally exercise first and foremost for my mental health because it makes me a good human. It makes me better at life. It helps me cope with whatever's thrown my way. And I'm just not a good person if I don't exercise. Thank you for sharing those. And, you know, it's so beautiful to get that reinforcement around best practice and the simplicity of best practice is what I love. And when you can bring it back to respecting that we are biological beings in this technological world and so aligning to our primitive biological needs and respecting the mind-body connection is so pivotal to our mental health and our well-being. This is where I start with everyone is the mind-body connection. And it's it's just fundamental. It's fundamental in the mind strength methodology. It's just the foundation stones. I've got a fourth one in there. So I've got sleep and I've got good nutrition. I've got exercise and movement. I've also got connection in there as our foundation stones and, you know, connecting with your tribe, making sure you're doing things that are moving away from that loneliness and that disconnection that we can feel and loneliness being something that's increasingly pervasive in society as well. I love what you're sharing and it's beautiful to hear that you are leading by example in accountability So we go from awareness to accountability to action, (laughs) which isn't easy. No, not easy. Oh, I agree. I mean, connection. Yes, I'm basically reciting your book back to you, aren't I? (laughs) It's to the wider audience, right? And it's reassuring to me that it's on point. Yes, yes. I agree with you. Connection is probably the one that I actually miss, but in many ways, it's the most important. I don't know if you read that book called The Good Life. It was by the the Harvard researchers who involved in the longest study into human health and happiness, which has spanned more than 80 years. And they wrote a book this year called The Good Life. And basically, they packed everything in the book from what they've learned throughout the study. And then the most important thing to health and happiness throughout someone's life is 
people around them. I'm a big believer in that as well. We are tribes. <laughs> we, we're tribal beings. The outliers get eaten by the tiger, right? <laughs> Fantastic. And I'd love to hear more about your story. Clearly so passionate to make a difference in society. The roles that you've played along the way, very high powered, high pressured. Where did you begin? You know, we're talking about where to from here, but where did you begin? How did it all start? I grew up in a, the eldest of four and I think I have a lot of type A siblings. I'm the eldest and then my next one is an extreme sports photographer in um, Canada and then the third one works for UNICEF in Europe and younger sister who says she's done nothing but she, she has. So she works in Newcastle but I think I grew up in a high achieving family or a family that perhaps we just didn't sit on our bums. We just went out and did things like we were camping or we went skiing or, you know, we were we were active. And I think my parents always just encouraged us to chase, follow our, our dreams and, and do the best we can, I suppose, to um, change the world around us and instilled us with values of particularly kindness and respect and curiosity and, and things like that. I studied journalism at university. At University of Canberra, I actually applied for a job at Girlfriend Magazine straight out of uni and I got it. And so that kind of launched into, it launched my career in magazines. I went overseas for a while and, and worked in London for different magazines and then came back and worked at Clio and then Cosmo under the likes of Sarah Wilson and Mia Friedman. And I think I was always passionate about women's issues. And I look back on those magazines and we thought they were empowering at the time, but looking back, perhaps there was kinks in that empowerment. And, and I accept that, but. I just loved being around women and talking about things affecting women and particularly health. So when I was at Cosmo, I was always the one going out for a run at lunchtime while everyone else went to the pub. So I always had an interest in, in health and wellbeing. And then when the job at Women's Health came up, I got the job. So we la I launched Women's Health in Australia. And I think that really just stoked that love of health and wellbeing. I mean, it had always been there. When I think back, my family is very active and healthy and we were always out and about, as I said, doing all sorts of things on weekends. And at Women's Health, I was there for nine years and, and that really fueled my passion for health and wellbeing. So ran that and yeah, then ended up at News Corp. I launched a women's um, site for them, which sadly closed during COVID. And then I thought I'd try my hand at, at podcast. Well, they asked me, would you fancy hosting the Body and Soul podcast? I'd been on Sunrise for 10 years. And so I think that gave me confidence in fronting up and asking questions. And, and with magazines, obviously, I don't want to say dying, perhaps not what they used to be. I thought, Oh, I love. I thought let's give podcasting a go, and so that's where I am today. I think my love of health. I'm actually doing a master's in public health as well. So I think I just now I interview all these experts. I think I need to be an. I feel like I'm an expert in some ways, but I need to be a bona fide expert. That is, wow, that is very fun. slow. I'm doing it very slowly. I'm only past my graduate certificate, but um, we'll get there. Congratulations, and you know this is a sort of a really wonderful example of. A purposeful life and clarity. What would be the value if you were to identify your values and the value that underpins that and this path of from one phenomenal position to the next to the next and now doing a master's in public health? What would you say are the values that underpin what you do? I've got personal values and then obviously work values. I think, you know, personally, my values are kindness, obviously family is really important to me. I mean, I, I do have a bit of ambition and drive. That would be a value. I, I have to acknowledge that. 
course. <laughs> Curiosity, I mean, that's always been there. I think that's why I became a journalist and I just love talking to people. Like I know that I'm doing the right thing when I listen to people like you, when I interview people and and I can share this amazing information. So, and I love connecting with people. So I think they're probably my personal values, which I suppose in many ways marry into my work values and and my work value is just to inspire, well, is health and, and wellness and living the best version of you, not living your best life. I mean, maybe it used to be that, but I don't think that is, I more view it as living the best version of yourself. So being the best you, if you're going through a really tough time, you know, how are you coping with this? So perhaps coming back to the value, it is health and wellness and, and inspiring women in particular to be the healthiest versions of themselves. Absolutely. Well, I feel inspired and <laughs> I do a little bit guilty about perhaps the things that I'm not no. doing. But <laughs> no, no, no. But that's it. We do, we no guilt. Like that. I think that's the other important thing, and, um, particularly in which in when I wrote Balance and Other BS, is that it's just like life's tough and being healthy is tough and managing mental health is tough and it's not easy. Mm. So I don't want to ever make people feel guilty and shame people because that's just, I just want to acknowledge that we're all doing our best. Yes. And I love the title of your book. I mean, it's just <laughs> absolutely bang on because you're balanced. Like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. does that even mean? And, you know, in relation to balance, you mentioned, I've got so many things that I want to ask you about based on the things that you've mentioned. But one of the words that you mentioned earlier was boundaries, the challenge around boundaries to carve out time. Like we might have a lot of knowledge about not even best practice, but just basic fundamentals to enable our better health and well-being. But it's hard to find the voice around boundaries. So if you were to sort of deliver messages to individuals out there to carve out boundaries, what are some things that have come up, some top tips from experts that you've interviewed or things that you have learned along the way for yourself having such a busy life? around boundaries to ensure that you are fitting the exercise in and things of that nature? I mean, boundaries are hard, aren't they? And I certainly don't have the answers or, you know, I'm still figuring them out. And I think, you know, boundaries change throughout your life. And I think sadly, some things suffer. And perhaps through all this, the thing that suffered is just time for me, you know, actually, see, I don't see exercise as time for me, but my husband says it is time for you. <laughs> I see How do you for- see it? How do you see exercise? I see it as just as a, like a requirement. Which like- is fantastic because when I'm sort of working with my clients, let's say, and it's about, we sort of think about the what we do and how we do it. And we get very caught up in the what and the how. So what being exercise, how, well, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. But when you take it to that deeper level, to the why, as you're doing, it provides a much greater accessibility to accountability. So what you've just described is exactly that. It's like, this is a non-negotiable because exercise, when I, when you go to the why is such a fundamentally important part of you being able to do what you do. So your why is like, this is an absolute imperative (laughs) for your sustainable high performance, I suppose. I'm putting words in your mouth. No, no, I I like this. Keep going. (laughs) Yes. So you're clear on your why around exercise, which makes it a lot easier to be motivated to engage in that. Are there any other suggestions for other people out there who perhaps are finding it hard to 
find the windows for exercise or movement or doing some of those things that will nurture their well-being. I think one thing that I've picked up from the experts I've interviewed is for many years we've viewed exercises, oh, I have to go for a run or mm-hmm. I have to go to the gym and, and lift weights and it's all, it's very hard and I can't fit it in and I, I can't do it and I'm not going to do it because it's too hard. Whereas I think we need to shift our view of exercise to, well, first and foremost, we need to change the word up and just call it movement. Yes, <laughs> the same language. <laughs> I know, we, I knew we would. And exercise can still be movement. It can still be pushing a pram for 20 minutes around a park. It can still be walking up to get your kids from school instead of driving. Now, my kids are at school only, you know, it's literally a five minute drive. But I say, no, I have to walk because I can get that 30 minutes of movement in. And that's what I need to maintain health. So I think we just need to shift our expectations and the word and see movement as as just moving your body in some form. Mm -hmm. And that could be a run, it could be a walk, it could be a swim. There are many different, and I used to probably, you know, when I was a women's health viewer, I have to go, I mean, I love running. So I'd say I have to go for a run like three times a week. Mm -hmm. But now I see it more as, okay, I I really like going for a run because that I need to raise my heart rate twice a week. But the rest of the time, I just might go for a walk. I might, the walking back to the kids' school is thankfully up a hill. So that's my movement. So I've become a lot looser and it's been much better for me. And now I am getting, in many ways, I'm having much more movement in my days than perhaps five or 10 years ago when I only had three runs a week. And now I'm actually walking everywhere and, and I might meet up with friends and go for a walk. And then that's my movement in the day. That's so, so helpful. Yes, it's about, you know, we feel like we have to be perfect in order to be good enough or we have to be perfect in order to engage or to in order for it to be worthwhile, as you said, when it's taking a step right back from that and saying something, do it, do the things that you love, move out of this fear-driven or not good enough driven kind of mindset. Two minutes around the block (laughs) changes the neurochemistry, right? I interviewed Emma Murray. She's a meditation expert as well as she's got credentials. I just can't remember off the top of my head, but she worked with the Richmond Football Club and basically worked with them when they won three, three all their premierships. I can't remember, like three or four premierships. She works with a lot of elite athletes and I've interviewed her a couple of times and she has this great mantra, motion changes emotion. Mm-hmm. And that has stuck with me. If I'm feeling a bit blah, like I'm quite affected by the weather, like I peak on sunny days and I I feel melancholy sometimes on cloudy days. But that just pops into my head if I'm having one of those days. It was interesting when I worked in the office every day, I I wasn't affected so much by the weather, but perhaps now I'm working more from home. I I notice that my moods can flat, like just a bit more melancholy in days when it's cloudy. Her mantra just always pops into my head if I'm, I'm feeling like that. Motion changes emotion. Get up, get outside and go for a walk. Mm, I love that. so much better. <laughs> 100%. And I'm really curious to know challenges along the way, big roles that you've engaged in, really high pressured, working to big deadlines. What are some things that come to mind that were particularly challenging in uh, your life experiences along the way? I think with work, I'll just focus on work. I, I mean, women's health was challenging and now I look back I did have a lot of anxiety. I've always um, thought that I'm pretty even keel when it comes to emotions. Like I can 
acknowledge them and, and deal with them and move on. But it's always hindsight when you you think, I'm like, no, I've always been like, I can handle this, I can do it. But then in hindsight, I think, wow, I really had a lot of anxiety around, well, just making that magazine sell and the ad dollars and, and everything that's involved, the pressure of running a magazine and having it on your shoulders. And I think that when I think back, I think, wow, I just don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was tough and yeah so I and there was obviously there was you know certain times through that in women's health we had I started this campaign called I support women in sport it was about 2009 and this was before sports women were revered as we review them today so mm-hmm. in 2009 racehorses had more tv airtime than sports women I was married to an AFL footballer I was very in the world of men's sport and I thought running women's health we can change this and we can give media space and and give media time to female athletes so we launched this campaign at I support women in sport I was invited to Parliament House we got money presented to Julia Gillard PM at the time and we got money for it and it was an amazing campaign and we had these awards every year one year when we were doing the event, these models were spray painted in like swimming costumes, like Australian swimming costumes. Their breasts were covered. They had like little kind of nude, like bandeau top and, and bikini bottoms. Mm. But in hindsight, it just was the wrong look for the awards. The awards were about empowering women, highlighting our female athletes at the time. I mean, we had the likes of Kate Campbell there and Lydia Lacia and these amazing sportswomen. And then these models, you know, basically naked on the red carpet. And so it was not a great call. And it actually wasn't my call. It was someone else's call. I had to front up the next day when we just got bombarded with the media pile on about how could we do this? What this is an outrage? This is disempowering. Women's health's a joke. These awards are a joke. That's probably was one of my low times. Mm, that's tough. Really it was tough. tough. Yeah, when you kind of parade it out through the media and have to front up to people and you know say sorry. This is you know we got it wrong and and that was really really hard personally and that was a real low point in my career and I think just dealing with all that. But from every low point comes a learning. Yes. We never do that again. How challenging when, you know, there's certain things that are out of your control, yet you have to kind of take the responsibility. But how did you deal with that? And at the time, what was it that enabled you to build resilience outside of that challenge or beyond that challenge? My husband, is just such a, you know, he's like my sounding board. I mean, I think he obviously played professional sport. He's very self-aware. He knows, you know, he's had pylons before when he's media pylons, when his career perhaps isn't, hasn't been going well. And, and so I think he really taught me another well mantra that's very common in sport, particularly is control your controllables. Like I can't control what people were saying out there about me, about the brand, about what we did. I could only control my reaction to it. And I just had to, I don't know, buffer myself and knew we would get through it. And thankfully, media moves fast. (laughs) It was okay. That was tough, that period. But what a great uh, mantra, sort of control your controllables. And that's the fundamental mindset shift is worry is typically focusing on all of the things that are out of our control. And moving into, I can only control the controllables. So the tricky thing, you know, as, as you know, I talk about the superpower of anxiety and this double edged sword, because it is ultimately a real 
care factor that underpins anxiety and that protective instinct is what anxiety is. And so oftentimes it comes with people who want to control everything (laughs) because this is what keeps us safe Mm. is being able to have predictability and control. And so that's what anxiety wants is to be able to control everything. High, often people who are high performers, when they go down that fight or flight path, it's I must control everything. And that can be the opposite of helpful. It's the shift. (laughs) And so just on that point, I mean, I think kids taught me, and and I know that's another cliche, but not to sweat the small stuff. I mean, you saying that, and when I think back to that time when it's health, I tried to control everything. And that was not helpful. Perhaps once I had kids, I realized you can't actually control everything. They're a great teacher for me in that way that just have to let things go and it doesn't matter. Yes. So I used to think, will it matter in five minutes, five hours, five days, five years? It, it doesn't matter. And I think I've got a lot better. And perhaps that also comes with age. It just letting things slide. <laughs> certainly does come with parenting because we just simply don't have capacity to <laughs> to hold on to everything. And uh, I love this. Don't sweat the small stuff. Control the controllables. Super helpful. And you also mentioned moving it into a space, which this, I suppose, all about a growth mindset and being able to say, what can I learn from this? How can I do things differently next time? is values driven. It sort of almost aligns to what you were describing earlier around your passion for curiosity and clearly your dedication to continual improvement, now doing a master's in public health and constantly learning more. Yeah, I love that you said, right, I'm going to reflect. I'm going to say, what can I learn from this? So what were some of the learnings? What was some of the wisdom that came from this very challenging life experience? I think it made me perhaps more control, like a bit the next time we did an awards, I was like, okay, wait, like maybe it had the reverse where I became a bit, okay, is everything in order? Bringing it back, I suppose, to your strategic goals, like what, what are your strategic goals for this particular opportunity, let's say? Yes. Yeah. And I think just, I mean, I had a few of those throughout my career and I think, I mean, it just builds resilience. I mean, life has ups and downs and it's just embracing the downs and the hard times and reminding yourself when you're in the shit yes that you're in the shit yeah. and that you're in the weeds and you're down there and it's really uncomfortable and you've got to feel the emotions and and get through it and and know that you can and remind yourself that you have the strength inside to get through it and it yeah. will be okay in the end like you will be okay and you will learn from it and probably that's what it taught me that I can get through I can do hard things a hundred percent gotta love Glennon I know I just Glennon Doyle that's her line isn't it we, we can do hard things and we can yeah. absolutely and when you can say we can do hard things and you just stop you breathe and you say right we can do hard things amazing and certainly you have not shied away from challenge and women's health i have to thank you because you know it was so inspiring and it was so helpful and just things that i absolutely lived and breathed and loved so i have to thank you for a lot of my evolving life experiences <laughs> that were related to magazines so you taught me a lot oh, it was such thank a great you. we had so well, it wasn't just me we had a great team um who worked on that and it was a great magazine wasn't it it was just I lo- that was my favorite. I, like, I loved working for that magazine. It was, despite all the stress and pressure and anxiety it created, it was a really joyful experience for me. Any other books or any other 
individuals who you have found incredibly inspiring along the way? I'm inspired by my my parents and my siblings. I think first and foremost, my family inspires me. I mean, my mum always inspires me for her kindness and her grace and for her strength in dealing with my dad. <laughs> no, my dad's a lovely human as well, but... So she's built her resilience she's on, the home, her on resilience. the home front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, no, my um, and my dad is just a, an all-round great human. And I think, you know, my siblings, as I said, my, my sister who she like hikes Alaska with photography gear on her back and skis with these Olympic athletes and takes photos. And I think her drive and her courage to do crazy stuff always forever inspires me but also she's just a good human and and same goes for my other siblings and I think in terms of being good people they are good people and and I'm always about surrounding myself with good people but first and foremost I have to say my husband is the best person I think he he inspires me I mean he runs the Sydney Swans he's unflappable and he's also a high performer and and he's just a good bloke and he's a good dad. And, you know, we all, we have a lot of, as I'm sure every couple does, conflict between careers and very, obviously after writing that book, Balance Another BS, I'm like, no, we are like equal. And, but I think he's my inspiration. And beyond that, I think I love, I just love reading nonfiction books and, you know, everyone from, well, Glenna Doyle to Brene Brown to the book I was talking about before. I mean, I love, and I think books and, and reading and curiosity and learning is what inspires me. And obviously my kids, my kids inspire me. I mean, they, in fact, that they just carry on and, you know, I love about kids. They just move on fast. Yes. And I'm curious to know about, you use the word unflappable in relation to your husband. What would he attribute or you attribute his unflappability to? How has he evolved that way? He's very self-aware. He's done a lot of work on himself, I think, throughout the years, especially playing football. He's quite humble and he always puts others first. And I think he has a lot of grace. I mean, unflappably, he just wants to be a good person and he wants to be good to others. And I think that, and sometimes that's hard. And I think that does take a lot of inner grace and inner knowing and, and just biting your tongue and, and I mean he has his moments he's not perfect <laughs> humility humility is really a superpower because when you're humble when you you're open-minded and your mindset is more in a position to learn and to grow and to be empathic so wow I want he sounds amazing I'm gonna learn more about your husband <laughs> <laughs> well I think he's pretty amazing he had a very successful career as a football player and I think humility is his key trait because he, at the detriment to some other people sometimes, he will take time to talk to everyone. And I say the detriment because we'll be waiting there for an hour for him to stop talking to people. Oh, the detriment to you. <laughs> After a football game. But um, yes, okay. humility, isn't it? Humility is just such a beautiful trait, isn't it? It's just fabulous. And it allows you to sort of bring your pendulum out of fight or flight, just to stay to stay neutral, to stay heart-centered, to stay connected, to build relationships when you're not ego-driven. It's a real high-performance habit that individuals have. You know, you see some of the best leaders worldwide and one of their core strengths is humility. Kudos to both of you. What a phenomenal team you are. And Oh my goodness. I feel like we could actually continue talking for the entire day. What a joy to chat with you and to connect with you. I'd love to sort of ask just 
sort of final question for people who experience mental health challenges or experience anxiety who are listening, what are some key messages or or top tips that you would love to share with them? Probably comes back to movement. I think that's a really important thing. So even though when you are experiencing whatever dark emotions you're experiencing, whatever place you're in, if you can just get up and get out the door and go for a walk, you will feel better. It's not going to solve, it's not going to solve it. But I think if you get those foundations of health and well-being right, it just, it gives you a good start, a, a good kind of base to then. And and back to your connection, I mean, there are many, many times where you don't feel like, especially when you're not feeling, when you're struggling with emotions and, and whatever's going on, you just, the last thing you do is feel, feel like going out for coffee with someone or going out for dinner or, or just connecting with or picking up the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's just one thing that I think is so, it's so hard, but it's so easy to make yourself feel just a little bit better. 100%. Oh my goodness. So powerful. Final question. Where where to from here? Oh, I don't know. What are your aspirations for, you know, the next chapter, next year? You're studying your master's? Very slowly, very slowly. And you're writing another book? (laughs) I'm working on it very slowly. Everything happens. It's now speed now. It's not the book and the, the master's. and But it's also for me so important to just live right now and to be with my kids and to enjoy this moment. And I think it's a continual tug of war in my head. Mm. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. But no, I need to do this. So maybe it's want versus want to do all these things. And I will get to it eventually. But really the most important thing is is being with my family and, and friends, you know, while they're still well, mum and dad's still here and connect and being with my kids and building those good, solid relationships now. So later on they'll come back <laughs> and have dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Fantastic. So beautiful to chat with you. Thank you for everything that you do and shine the light on. Um, Thank you for you too. I'm not into this. Thank you. Thank you for all your lovely feedback, but Jodie, thank you for you, to you for being such a great expert and, and also helping so many people in what you do. I really appreciate that. Amazing. Couldn't do it without journos to shine light on work. So fabulous. Great chatting and yeah, can't wait to chat again soon. Take care. Thanks, Jodie. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.